Welcome, I'm Bill Young, the pastor at Sweat Memorial Baptist Church, and we are thankful you've joined us to listen to our weekly podcast. Through this sermon podcast, we hope to bring encouragement to your heart, help grow your faith, and inspire you toward a closer walk with the Lord. To learn more about our church, find us online at smbcwaycross.com or through Facebook and Instagram. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning and welcome to the morning worship service, April the 26th, coming from the sanctuary of Sweat Memorial Baptist Church in Waycross. I am delighted to share the gospel with you. To those of you whom we have not met, maybe some first time, somewhere somewhere around the world worshiping with us today, I'm Bill Young, pastor here, and grateful, grateful to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to share just this word with our congregation, and that is people are really beginning to ask, when will we be able to get back into church? And that's, that's going to be a very difficult decision. To those of you who've not been here before, I'm standing in front of a sanctuary that comfortably seats 500. Uh, we have had, just before this shutdown, 350. And we've got to really work out a strategy plan on the first Sunday that we come back for social distancing, the comfort of everybody, the safety of everybody, and we are throwing around all kinds of plans for that and hope that it won't be too much longer that we are going to be back into this sanctuary. Our text today comes from the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 26, and to look at verses 24 through 39 as our starting point for the message today. If you have been with us each Sunday during this online worship experience, I did share from this passage, but I want to key in on an exchange between the Apostle Paul and the King Agrippa. And the title of the message is, Why Be a Christian? Why Be a Christian? Let's pray together. Almighty God, how wonderful it is to have this opportunity to share the gospel. And my prayer, I have a special sense every time that I'm given that opportunity to preach, but there's just something very, very, very special about today, and that is in the midst of all of this pandemic, and we encourage people and to keep the faith and to have hope and to look up, and this too will pass, and we'll be all right, and I just feel that need in my heart to share with those who may not be a Christian may be a Christian, but you are just not comfortable with where you are in your relationship with Christ. And the bottom line here is Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our strength. He is our power. He is our peace. And so I want to share the simple plan of salvation today about how to become a Christian, why be a Christian. And I pray that it will bring many to Jesus Christ and closer to Jesus Christ. Those of you who know the Lord, pray for me. It's a very unusual way to present the gospel. Forgive us of our sins. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In reading the passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, and I just simply casually tell you quickly, he has been taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea. 
for his own safety, and they are trying to decide what to do with him because the leaders of Judaism want to kill him. He has appealed to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen, and they're holding him there. They are hearing his testimony. They are trying to figure out what to do with him, and finally, after this, they decide we're going to send him on to Rome, and he can plead his case to Caesar. Well, here he's been given an opportunity to give what we call his testimony, how he met Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus, how he gave his life to Jesus, what his ministry is in sharing about Jesus Christ, and he is really, really, really into it. And the governor of Caesarea is Festus, and the king of the area is Agrippa. And right toward the end of the testimony, verse 24 says, And as he, meaning Paul, spoke for himself, Festus, the governor, said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. You're crazy is what he told him. Much learning has made you crazy. But Paul said, I'm not crazy. I'm not mad, most excellent Festus, but I speak the words of truth and soberness. For the king, meaning Agrippa, understands these things before whom also I speak freely. For I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, and he's speaking about the ministry of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he is telling Festus, I know King Agrippa knows what went on. This thing was not done in a corner or in a closet. Paul now looks at King Agrippa and says, Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe them. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, and this is so critical here, I would to God, but not only you, but also all that hear me this day, were both and altogether such as I am, meaning a follower of Jesus Christ, except for these bonds. Paul is in chains as a prisoner. And he tells King Agrippa, I wish everybody in this room and I wish everybody knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul devoted his life to that. We devote our church to that. Down through the ages, the Christian faith has devoted itself to hoping and praying and helping people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I'm going to raise some questions as we go through this this morning. And that question that is of the sermon title is, why be a Christian? Why, why is this important? Why are we concerned about it? Why are we devoted to it? Why am I sharing that this morning? As I go through, I want to go very careful. I'm going to raise quite a few questions. And my heart's desire is that those who are wondering, what's this all about? Why is this important? Why should I even think twice about this? Why did it happen this way? that possibly this would answer some questions and bring you to where you seriously consider a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the title again, Why Be a Christian? And number one, why be a Christian? Because of sin. Somebody might be saying, here we go again, preaching on sin. And we raise the question, what is sin? What is sin? I have been blessed through the years to share with children as they come to the age of accountability and they're ready to profess their faith in Christ and to be baptized and to counsel them. 
And one of the questions that I ask them is, what is sin? And to a person, they're going to answer as eight, nine, ten-year-olds, something you do that is bad. And I think that is the concept of most people, and that is sin is something that you do bad. And that is right, but one of the problems is, thank God, not everybody does things that are bad. And you might be wondering, well, why do I need Jesus? Why should I be a Christian? I want you to follow the development of the understanding of sin through the scriptures. And that is, first, sin was identified very clearly, very clearly, as the Hebrew children came out of Egypt, that 430 years of slavery, as they crossed through the Red Sea, as they began to move toward the Promised Land, on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses, for the people, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments have become, down through the ages, the basis for all civilized society. And you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. They're in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and I won't try to quote all of them. But in the King James, they're that thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. You know, you should have no other gods before you. You should not make any idols or images. You should remember the Sabbath day, a day of worship. You know, don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. These was the identification, the codification, the law of what sin is. Jesus came along, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he expanded on the original Ten Commandments. And that's in Matthew chapter 5. And this is an important development. I want you to catch this. And that is the Ten Commandments said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. The Sermon on the Mount moves it more from an action to an attitude of the heart. Notice what he says here in chapter 5 of Matthew, chapter verse 21. He says, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever calls his brother a fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus moves from don't kill to the very heart of what leads to violence, and that is anger. This is why Cain killed Abel, because he was angry at him. Jesus says next, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And wow, he laid down the challenge to us here, that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in her heart. Jesus taught us that the evil and that sin comes from the heart. It's not what goes in us that defiles us, it's what is comes out of us. Then he says about divorce, that, that, that casually breaking up a marriage relationship should not happen. Then he says in verse 33, we should not make oaths, we should not swear, we should let our word be our word. Verse 38, he says, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm telling you, you're to turn the other cheek when somebody does you wrong. So when we ask the question, why be a Christian because of sin and what is sin? Yes, it's an act. Yes, it is an attitude of the heart. 
But in Romans 3.23, that is the understanding of sin that I want all of us to embrace in our hearts. I'm turning to it, but it is a passage of Scripture that is memorized frequently. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned, and here's the key phrase, come short of the glory of God. Sin is an act. Sin is an attitude. But sin in its all summation is failing to live up to the God-given potential and purpose and reason for our existence. If there was anybody that ever purchased a lot of self-help books, it's been me. Wanting to be all I can be. I've got a motto, if not excellent, not at all. And this is what all of us in our lives are seeking. But God created us. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 through 25, God created Adam, created Eve. He put them in the garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. They had a real one-on-one relationship with God. They were keeping the garden. Everything was at peace. There was no COVID-19. The animals were their best friends. Adam had named them. You say, Brother Bill, do you believe that? Absolutely, I believe that. Absolutely, I believe it. And there's no other way to understand the trauma of the world today without understanding where it all came from and how it happened. God created them as the crown of his creation. Psalm 8 says it this way, and I pray that you are following right with me, and I know that you are. Psalm 8, the psalmist says, Who is man that you even think of him? And the son of man that you have visited him. And Psalm 8 verse 5 says, You have made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Why be a Christian because of sin? Sin is that which prohibits, hinders us from being all that God created us to be. In the mid-1600s, the Westminster Catechism, best known in the Presbyterian Church, was drafted. That shorter Westminster Catechism says, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Satan lied to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Robert McGee, in his book, Search for Significance, identifies four powerful lies that Satan is telling people today. In our effort to justify ourselves, to find our purpose, to realize the meaning of life, Satan has caught us in the performance trap, which means that I am only good based upon how much I get done. He's got us in what's called the approval attic, and that is I'm only good by the number of people who like me. He lies to us in what's called the blame game. And that is, I'm going to find other people to blame for the problems of my life. And Satan lies to us in what's called shame and tells us, we're really not worth anything. We're not worth anything. 
I like the story of the man that every night would brag to his family about his new boss. And he would say, oh, he's a self-made man. Oh, my goodness, he's a self-made man. He is so smart. He is so capable. He is so powerful. He's a self-made man. Well, one night they agreed that they would invite the boss to dinner, and the little boy just could not wait to see this self-made man. When the doorbell rang, he ran to the door, and he opened it, and there stood the boss. And the little boy looked up at him and said, My daddy says you're a self-made man. And the boss said, That's right, sonny. And the little boy said, Well, why in the world you make yourself like that? God today wants to know of us. Why are you making yourself like that? I made you a little lower than the angels. I made you the crown of creation. You are a child of the Most High God. I want to bless you with favor. Friend, sin is anything, any way that we live less than that. Our question, the title of the message is, Why Be a Christian? And I shared first because of sin. Secondly, because sin is serious. Sin is serious. Someone listening here may not really be in tune with the Christian faith, may not really be in tune with the concepts, the beliefs, the theology that I am talking about here. And that's my heart's desire is to help those who don't know what we're about to maybe get a glimpse of what we are about as the people of God at Sweat Memorial Baptist Church. And so when I say that sin is the problem, somebody might say, well, what's the big deal? And that is absolutely the question is being asked across America today. I will not speak for the whole world. Secular humanism, which says there are no absolutes, everything is relativism, there's no good, there's no bad, everybody just decide what you want to do, there is no sin, there is no God, there is no eternity, what's the big deal? When I was coming through college a long time ago, a very, very, very popular mindset was a book entitled Situation Ethics by Joseph Fletcher. And it really hit the world by storm, and that is that when we have decisions to make in life, we don't make them based on absolutes. We don't make them based on moral priorities. We just make them based on what seems right in our heart, That seems what seems right in our heart. Carl Menninger, famed of the Menninger Clinic, wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin. We're living in a society today that when a preacher like me stands here and says sin is the problem and sin is serious, the popular mindset is, what's the big deal, guy? What's the big deal here? Well, here's the big deal. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the first part of that verse says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Stay with me. In Genesis chapter 2, God tells Adam and Eve, the garden's yours, all of this is yours. You can, you can eat of anything that is here except that tree that is in the middle of the garden, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you do that, you will surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan who was an archangel and one of the right hands of God Almighty, Lucifer, 
rebelled against God Almighty and was cast out of heaven and a third of the angel host. Well, it didn't take him long to find his way into the garden. And he deceived, he beguiled Adam and Eve. I'm putting them together. He asked Eve, can you eat of anything that's in the garden? And she said, no, that one tree over there of the knowledge of good and evil, if we eat of it, we'll die. And Satan said, no, you won't. He lied to her. He's the father of lies. And he said, no, you won't. And the day that you eat of that tree, you'll become like God. You'll become like God. There's a book that was written some years ago by Alan Dershowitz, who is well-known, professor at Harvard, great legal mind, contributor to Fox News on a regular basis. And he wrote a book entitled The Genesis of Justice, looking at 10 stories in the book of Genesis that he says leads to the development of our moral code. But what he does is he identifies those stories as injustice. And the first one that he does is that in the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve. And he entitles that, God threatens and backs down. His idea is that God told them, you'll surely die. And obviously, he thinks that the day that they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were supposed to drop like a fly. And he says, God threatened it, but then he backed down. I want to share with you, and I pray that you will take this very seriously, that the day that Adam and Eve began to disobey God, they set in process death in five different ways. The worst case scenario. As soon as they ate of the tree that they were forbidden to eat of, which was simply an exercise of their loyalty to God, they died a spiritual death. They'd had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. He fellowshiped with them in the garden every day. But immediately, immediately they recognized what they had done. Guilt overwhelmed them. And when God came looking for them for their quiet time that day, they hid from God. Somebody listening right now does not feel worthy to be in the presence of God. You are spiritually dead. They died an emotional death. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were not clothed. They were not ashamed. They were just as free as people could be. But as soon as they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized, whoa, we need some clothes. They were ashamed of themselves. And their self-esteem was destroyed. Somebody listening here, you don't feel worthy. You feel shame. And you're not only hiding from God, you're hiding from yourself. The third death was a relationship death. Adam and Eve had, to this point, the perfect marriage. Now, all of a sudden, when God asked Adam, what did you do? He says, well, that woman you put in here with me, she gave me to eat of that tree. He asked Eve, what did she do? And she said, I was deceived by the serpent. I like what Zig Ziglar says when it comes to making mistakes and having problems and blaming others. He says, what we need to do is fix the problem, not the blame. Somebody right now, your life 
your relationships, things are not going well, and you're just blaming others and don't want to fix the problem. The fourth death was Adam and Eve then, at a point in the future, did die. Pretty quick, their son, Abel, was murdered. There was death because the wages of sin is death. And they lived and they died. They lived and they died. And that day is coming to all of us. And then, without the mercy of God, without faith in Jesus Christ, without becoming a Christian, we will experience eternal death, and that is separation from God, our Creator, forever and ever and ever. And a friend of mine would say all the time, eternity is a long time to be wrong. The third question why the Apostle Paul wanted Agrippa and everybody in the room and everybody in the world to know Jesus is because of Jesus. Now, just like under sin, we ask the question, what is sin? Let me raise the question here, who is Jesus? Somebody listening may not have fully grasped, fully taken hold of this person born 2,000 years ago in what we know as Israel, born in Bethlehem, spent time in Egypt, grew up in Nazareth, and came on the scene as the Son of God. The Son of God who came to save us from our sins. The answer for who is Jesus today in our message, as well as King of kings and Lord of lords and the Son of God and God himself, is that Jesus is our sin offering. Romans chapter 5, and I turn to these because I do not want to loosely quote the Word of God. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, beginning with 6, When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A moment ago I shared with you the first part of Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. But thank God for the rest of that verse. And the rest of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our sin offering. And now I want to raise another question, and that is, why? Why are the wages of sin death? Why is it death? And this is the question, and I share this with you, and it's not because God is mad at you, I love the book that was written that says, God's not angry with you. God loves you. God is not looking to wipe people out. God is a God of mercy. Well, then why in the world, why in the world are the wages, why do we earn death for our sinfulness? And this is the way that I feel it in my heart. And I remind you, and I believe this with all of my heart, that 
When God created Adam and Eve, and we then are descendants of theirs, he created them in his image. I didn't evolve, friends. I didn't come out of pond scum and crawl and then climb a tree and then come down out of a tree. God made me. God made me in his image. God breathed in me the breath of life. And God is my life source. Sin separates us from our life source. Sin separates us from the breath of God. Why? God is holy. God is just. It violates his character totally, his nature, to be in, to be a part, to condone evil, ugliness, darkness, and trauma. And when Jesus cried from the cross of Calvary, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had not forsaken him. The sins of the world on Jesus blotted him out from his father at that moment. I used an illustration like this, why the wages of sin is death. I used the illustration of a fish out of water. Friend, the fish was made to be in water. We are made to be in fellowship with God. St. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. There is no peace of God until we have peace with God. And the wages of sin is death because Satan has hooked all of us. He's thrown us up on the bank. We are flopping. We are flipping. We are flailing around. We are desperate for life doing everything we can to live, but until that fish gets back in that water, he is gone. And until we get back in the right relationship with God, we are gone. God doesn't do this to us. We do it to ourselves. The movie some years ago, Hunt for Red October, where a Russian sub is wanting to defect to America, rest on the bottom of the ocean, the Russians are looking for the sub, and so are the Americans. And the American sub looking for it, and this is one of Tom Clancy's really exciting novels. The American sub that's looking for him is called the Dallas. The Dallas and the Russian sub began to come into the same area of the ocean. They are playing that cat and mouse. They are trying to stay away from one another. They're trying to engage one another. They want to destroy one another because this nuclear sub is at stake. The commander of the Russian sub gets way ahead of himself, arrogant, impatient, prideful. He thinks that he has the Dallas in his sights, but the crew knows we're too close, we're too close, but he gives the order to fire the torpedo anyway. And his crew there turns to him and says, you have killed us. That torpedo flies right past the Dallas, turns around, comes back seeking a target, and hits the Russian sub. God does not kill us. We do it to ourselves. In pride and arrogance, we do it to ourselves. But I want to tell you, God is not only holy, God is not only just, God is also merciful. And God is saying to us in Jesus Christ, I will die for you. I will take your place. And there's power in the blood. And there's power in the resurrection.
And our fourth and final point, why be a Christian, is because Jesus is serious about you. Will you get serious about Jesus? One of my devotions this past week was another one of those resurrection morning episodes where Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb and it's empty. It's dark that morning. Her eyes are dimmed by tears. She believes that somebody has moved Jesus' body. And when she sees Jesus, she thinks that it's the gardener and wants to know, what have they done with my Lord? And one of the most touching moments here is when Jesus looks at her, the risen Lord, and says, Mary, Mary. And she knew right away it was Jesus. The devotion said she didn't know him at that moment, but he knew her. In that devotion, they talked about a husband's faithful care for his wife who struggled with Alzheimer's for 10 years. Every once in a while, somebody would ask the husband, does she know who you are? Does she know who you are? And he would say, no, but I know who she is. You may not know Jesus. You may not feel like you know. I pray you know him better as a result of this. You may not know Jesus, but he knows you. He knows you. And I close with this. Somebody will die for your sins. And I pray you understand, Jesus is not a bloodthirsty God. God is not bloodthirsty. But because of the way sin affects our relationship with God, somebody will die for your sins, either you or Jesus. Jesus already has. Will you accept him and live? I want to lead you in a prayer. I pray based upon what I've shared here. Will you follow along? And this is from my heart in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. Lord Jesus, or you may at this point just say, Jesus, or Almighty God, I'm not a Christian and I really haven't known why I should be one. But I, I'm beginning to understand sin and I'm beginning to understand the seriousness of sin. And I'm beginning to understand Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ and that God, yes, is holy and just, but he's merciful and died for me. And the Bible says all I have to do is believe. And where sin originates in the heart, I just simply believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and God raised him from the dead. And your word says that if I believe that, confess that, I'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You may not feel like that you know Jesus, but Jesus knows you. Will you cry out now? Now will you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me that abundant life. I want to be all you created me to be and be with you in heaven forever. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, the name Jesus. Amen.